Welcome to The Talent Bubble, a podcast where HR, people ops, and talent acquisition professionals learn from their fellow colleagues in the trenches. We'll hear how they navigated their careers, learn about exciting projects they're working on, and discover the tools they use to get the job done. Learn more at thetalentbubble.com. I'm your host, Brian Mooney, co-founder of jobhoney.io. This episode of The Talent Bubble is brought to you by Reembi. Reembi is reimbursement reimagined. Most recruiters can share horror stories about how long it's taken their candidates to be reimbursed for interview expenses. Well, Reembi has solved that problem. With Reembi, candidates are reimbursed the same day their expenses are approved. And this is pretty amazing. Candidates can even receive their reimbursement via Venmo. Visit reembi.com now to see why companies like Wayfair, DoorDash, and Peloton are using Reembi to improve candidate experience and streamline recruiting operations. That's Reembi, R-E-I-M-B-I.com. Reembi is reimbursement reimagined. This episode is brought to you by M2 Partners. Whether you need to find your first VP of HR or transform an established department to meet changing needs, M2 Partners can help you secure the right people to create a dynamic corporate culture that motivates and supports employees to achieve. M2 Partners has one of the highest retention and promotion rates for its candidates in the region. Learn more at m2-partners.com. Christopher Dobbins very well may be the most interesting HR and TA person out there. He spent five years as an intelligence officer in the Air Force, but longed for a normal job in the corporate world. And like many of us, Chris was pulled into the recruitment world where he started working in recruiting operations at Twitter and Uber. Chris is currently the director of people strategy and planning at DoorDash. He's incredibly thoughtful and has gained tons of insights working on global recruiting operations. I know last time we talked, you mentioned that you ended up having to kind of reframe your focus when you were applying mm. to companies. Can you share like how you got to that understanding? For me, when, when I moved out to, to San Francisco without a job, it's, it's of course a very expensive um, city and market. Trying to translate and parlay my experience you know, as an intelligence officer was, it, it wasn't very tangible, right? And it wasn't very easy to do. And so to me, I, I didn't want to um, restrict myself in terms of, you know, the role or the company in which I wanted to to work for. So that being said, you know, I ended up literally applying to almost everything that, you know, I could feasibly do. And so I was active on like every job board, anything that sounded remotely compelling or interesting to me, um, I had applied to. And I did so with some sense of um, focus, meaning I, you know, I, I tried to really resonate with the role and, and sort of like structure my, my resume um, in a way that would land well with the, with the hiring team. And that is just another journey of itself is, is, is my resume. Like if you would have seen, if you would have seen my resume um, when I separated from the Air Force and, and, and what that looked like to the average sort of like corporation, it didn't translate. It, 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 it would look like a foreign language. Um, but, uh, and I must have had like literally, you know, 80 to 90 iterations of my resume. And thanks to, you know, my good friend, you know, and, and his now wife who really coached me along that journey and, 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 and helped me revise and, and tweak and, you know, try to like formulate a, a resume that actually, you know, made sense to the market. But for me, I, I applied to everything, 
uh, and you know, I, I didn't really get much traction to be quite honest. And there was a lot of frustration. I didn't actually think that, you know, it would actually work out. And so at this point in time, you know, it was probably like the July, you know, July, 2011 and nothing was really sticking. And so I, I, I wanted to take a pause. And so at that point in time, you know, I, I, I put a pin in sort of my career journey and I just traveled for a while. I ended up um, sort of backpacking throughout Europe for several months just to sort of really disconnect. One, it was just a very opportune time and I had never really traveled growing up. And so I always wanted to do that. And so I just took that time to recalibrate myself um, mentally. Um, and, you know, it's through that experience, I, you know, I experienced a lot of vulnerability for myself and humility. But, you know, at, you know, at the end of that, I came back to the States in October 2011 and with a, with a deeper sense of focus. And so I, I think it really, that was really helpful for me. Um, and so when I came back, you know, I was much more intentional, you know, instead of applying to everything under the sun, you know, I really sort of calibrated myself and tried to ask myself, okay, you know, one, San Francisco is a very, you know, dense and rich market in terms of opportunities, but, you know, what do I actually like want to do? And I didn't have the answer to that question. Like most people don't really know what to do. I would still tell you, you know, oh, there's a, there's a couple things I want to do when I grow up <laughs> and, and, and I'm living that right now. But um, I, I try to reframe my focus on that, which is like, what do I want to do? And, and, and it quickly pivoted to what, do, who do I want to work for? What product do I want to get behind? And that is what really sharpened my focus. And then you know, in a market that has so many opportunities, you know, I suddenly found myself really dialed into a couple of key companies and Twitter was one of them. And I was very familiar with Twitter at that point in time, because, you know, if you recall the Arab Spring, the power that Twitter sort of served and that sort of experience for folks in Egypt. And so it was a really powerful platform to me that I felt um, really intrigued by. And so that was one of the three companies that became really compelling to me. And so then I set my sights on Twitter, found out that I had a connection at Twitter. It was actually my college roommate, his cousin worked at Twitter. And so I had met him a couple of times at that point. Um, and then, you know, I went on the, the Twitter careers page and, and try to find any sort of role that would remotely fit um, or be tangible to my own experience. And uh, so you know, I connected with, with my buddy, there at Twitter. And then again, he, he put my resume in front of the, the recruiting team. And it must have been for a couple of roles, now that I think back at it. And it just so happened that, you know, the recruiting team reviewed my resume and they're like, oh, well, we have an opening on our own team. And, you know, he looks like he could potentially be a great fit for us and add value. And so that sort of opened the doors for me in terms of how I landed in, in, into talent acquisition. But it was that period of being able to disconnect and sort of free myself mentally when I was able to sort of like, you know, put a pin in my job search backpack throughout Europe with, with really out of, without a care in the world. You know, I didn't have any agenda and didn't have a sort of schedule. And so it was really living truly, you know, one day, one week at a time, which was really exciting for me. Also scary, but it, it served its purpose. I came back with a deeper sense of focus. So I want to stay on the the thread of of kind of giving some advice to uh, to people that are in in a job search. So if someone came to you that you know starting their career or or switching their mm -hmm. career and wanting to work at a company like that. What advice 
would you give them? Is there anything that you'd tell them to help them make that transition? Yeah, and I actually find myself having conversations just like this, to be quite honest, mostly with veterans who are transitioning. And typically, you know, if, if I'm not sure if you've seen this in your own experiences, but veterans tend to transition into more larger corporations outside of tech. And that might be sort of in, in pharma or medical or, or, the, or the financial sector. And very few sort of transition directly into tech. And if and when they do, it's usually via, uh, you know, business school. But what I usually, you know, those conversations, which I always love having because I, it really draws upon my own experiences and I can really empathize with it. I think it really, it always starts with identifying with a company or a product that you can really, really get behind. And it just so happens that like, right, I, you know, I work in, a, in an industry that's talent acquisition, which, you know, we are, you know, trying to solicit and attract talent to come work for a company. And so that's obviously something that you, you want to, you want to have deep, a, a deep sense of connection to that company and because you're in essence selling it. But I think that still plays true with, you know, in any role or capacity that, that might exist within a company, you need to, you need to feel a sense of connection behind it. And so I would urge, you know, anybody who's thinking about transitioning into into tech to find that deeper meaning in terms of what you're looking for and then double click right and then double click and see how might you parlay your own experiences to add value to that company and i think reality is there's so many roles within um within twitter within uber within doordash that you know can really resonate with almost anybody in the job market literally almost anybody in the job market, especially these companies, you know, particularly, you know, DoorDash and Uber, where these are very emerging products, right? There are new channels that are being carved in terms of um, lines of business, right? So delivery, delivering food, delivering goods, right? These are, these are all things that are new relative uh, to, to our job market. And so what that means is, there are job profiles within these companies that are non-standard, right? We're asking people to do a, or serve a business need that hasn't been done before. And so I, I think that's the exciting part is there's, there's almost no limits to the type of sort of talent fits or talent matches between, you know, the, the job market and these sort of emerging technology companies. And so, you know, when I think about giving that advice to, to somebody transitioning in, first and foremost is, is leading with what is most important to you in terms of mission, company, and then the, and then the product, and then double clicking. And I think like one of the also, you know, one of the other exciting things is, you know, with, with all these tech companies, they're obviously growing, you know, like gangbusters. And that just means more opportunities internally to sort of like grow laterally. I always think about, you know, my, you know, career progression isn't simply a ladder that is vertical, right? It's, it's, it's lateral. It's a jungle gym. You know, our career journey is a jungle gym. And um, I think most people actually, when I think about my generation, you know, what I've learned about my generation is they say that we will have, three to four different careers in, in, in our lifetime, not three or four different jobs, three or four different careers. And so, I mean, I'm on my second journey. And so who knows what that third one will bring, you know, it was in the military. Um, I'm now in sort of TA slash, you know, people who knows if, if, what that third journey will bring, but I'm, I'm certainly open to it. And I think that that's, that's the exciting part. Yeah, absolutely. 
are you doing anything today that helps candidates understand kind of what the, the culture is? Like I just put out an article today mm-hmm. actually that um, highlighted there's seven companies that at least put something on their site about how they're a remote work first company and how they work together. Are, are you doing anything right now? Yeah, that's a, it's, it's, I love that you ask that because it's very, very top of mind for me at the moment, because I think you're absolutely right. You know, I think we are, ourselves, uh, meaning, you know, the employees at DoorDash, particularly those who have, who have been at the company, you know, prior to 2020, we, we, we know what our, what our identity is, right? Mm-hmm. We know what the culture is at DoorDash. And it's one that is, you know, in my opinion, is exceptional. And it's one that means a lot to me. It feels like home. But I, I will never assume that, you know, candidates who are interviewing with us today and, and then who start with us today or start with us next week, that they will resonate with that, right? Mm-hmm. I, 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 and to be quite honest, I don't expect them to. I had a great conversation with, with a teammate this week, and we were talking about this very topic. This is an experience that is unprecedented, you know, for, for us at DoorDash, and to be honest, with, with, with many companies. And, you know, where we once felt like we, we had a very strong identity and a very strong culture, it would be naive for us to, to assume that that would, you know, that that really continues to manifest in the same ways you know, today while we're virtual. And so I, what I say to that is like, we're very early doors, you know, we're, we're still trying to figure out the best way to illustrate that employee value proposition, particularly in a remote environment. And what we're trying to do, um, you know, at a very brass tacks level is just be very vocal about it. Is to be very, very vocal about it in dialogue and conversations, right? Mm-hmm. And so I specifically, you know, have chatted with so many candidates over the past um, really several months because our own recruiting team is growing, you know, exponentially. And I sort of pull back the curtains and I try to pull back the curtains as much as possible and help them understand, you know, what it's truly like to work at DoorDash, not just generally as a company, but really at, at this point in time. Because I also think that, you know, DoorDash has, has had the, the fortunate opportunity, especially in this pandemic, to continue to sort of like grow and expand, which is really, really exciting. And I think that that's a really exciting piece for us to be able to sort of like parlay and illustrate to the talent market. And, and I try to try to do that as best as possible. But again, it comes back to transparency, as you mentioned, and, and sort of like really feeling comfortable about pulling back the curtains. And then you have that you have a much deeper sense of confidence that whenever you um, actually hire that person and that they've they've opted in, they're bought in and they're they're ready to they're ready to sort of like move with us. One thing worth mentioning is, you know, we've we've now been in. Um, a virtual slash work from home environment for, you know, five going on six months or so. There, there are plenty of um, lenses and voices for us to tap into to understand what did that candidate experience look like and how did that, um, how did that marry up to what your expectations were, you know, now that you've been in the seat, you know, for X amount of time. And, um, and I've spent a lot of time on that right, is talking to, and and to be quite honest, I have my, you know, some of my peers have actually started at DoorDash in, you know, during this sort of pandemic and virtual environment. Um, And really understanding what their experience was, 
you know, one as a candidate and then two as a new hire, like, what is that experience? Were your expectations met or exceeded or, or missed? And, and taking that, trying to bottle it up in, in, in a way that you can, you know, effectively illustrate that to, to candidates as they navigate the hiring process. And then that's what I mean when I, when I talk about going back down to brass tacks and, you know, making this, a, you know, a, 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 an intentional point of dialogue to candidates, you know, early in the process. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's important. I'd love to hear mm-hmm. kind of how you would start a, a TA operation. Yeah, I think, um, I think about this a lot, which is what are the, you know, what are the right skill sets and competencies that I need to help either build, grow, or scale my team? And if I'm starting a TA slash a TA ops team from scratch, um, I'm looking for, and I will index on executional excellence as a competency. Um, somebody who knows how to just move and execute and get things done because that's really what's required for a very nascent organization is executors. And you don't need that sort of pragmatic um, lens to operations early in the game. And, And I think like, and that's one that I can actually help balance, but you really, you really need strong executors. Um, and then you also need technical experts and specifically within analytics. And so, you know, as I think about building and, and growing and scaling a, a TA ops team, typically the first high, one of the first hires that I would make is um, somebody who is very data driven, um, has a strong sort of acumen around analytics and insights um, because typically you know, most TA organizations, they're lagging with respect to that skill set on, on their team. And I think it's, it's extremely important to make sure we get right at the very forefront um, because those are the types of um, profiles that can keep us honest around um, process management, um, even around process efficiencies. Um, and so for me, there, there's a couple different skill sets, but certainly executional excellence, somebody who is a strong executor, um, biased to action, um, and then a more technical uh, competency where yeah, analytics and insights is is a, is a strength. What would you say to companies that are focused on hiring on referral based hiring? Yeah, and I think that's an interesting topic too. It's one that um, you know we're navigating internally. In in terms of referral hiring, I think it's a very valid. Um, sort of consideration when you think about tech companies, which tend to have very homogenous, you know, workforces, which is, do you want to continue to propagate that by incentivizing um, people to refer um, from their network, you know, which oftentimes, you know, our networks, our social networks, be it, you know, friends or family tend to look just like us. And I think it's a very fair question. However, when I think about that, referrals are a natural, and to be honest, they're a key channel in how any company grows. And and I wouldn't want to detract from that, but rather, how do we think about leaning into that channel and designing it in a way where we can continue to 
increase representation across our workforce. And I think that that, that can be achievable. You know, today we're on a journey at DoorDash where we're trying to, where we want to have a workforce that is diverse, that represents our three-sided marketplace, being our consumers, our dashers, and our merchants. And that's our goal. And in order to achieve that, we, of course, will continue to scale our, you know, our, our corporate um, team. But, you know, referrals it will, will continue to be a strategy. The question is, how do we design that program where we can, you know, increase representation? And I think that what that manifests itself, for example, is, you know, creating um, increased cash referral bonuses um, where you are referring an underrepresented talent. And that's one that we're exploring or creating more focused strategies on referral pushes, right? And partnering with our employee resource groups um, to shepherd and to guide and to lead some of those referral strategies that will focus on um, underrepresented talent. And so for me, it's very much, um, it, it's, a, it's an and not or where we can continue to invest in, in a very effective referral program while increasing diverse representation across our workforce. What's something that you think will be different about talent acquisition in, in the next like five, 10 years, whatever time frame you want to put on it? Yeah, this also is an interesting question. And it's one that, um, you know, when I think about it, it's interesting because when I sort of look back at the last five years and try to think about what has changed, it's really tough to sort of put my finger on any one thing. And, you know, when I do that, when I take that sort of like, when I do that sort of look back exercise and, and then try to flip that on its head and sort of do a forward looking approach and try to forecast what the next five years looks like, it's, you know, it's really difficult. I, I, think, um, I think there will be a lot of compounding changes that'll happen over the next five years. I do think that the world in which we live in today, in terms of remote work and um, shelter in place as a result of the COVID pandemic, is certainly going to be um, you know, a, a turning point in time, especially in talent acquisition. And so you know, if I would sort of project out the next you know, a few years, I would have to say that you know, I, I really genuinely feel the interviewing experience will dramatically shift. You know, I think that will dramatically shift and we will create ways of making, you know, this sort of assessment experience a lot more engaging, a lot more fruitful, and to be quite honest, like a lot more transparent in terms of, you know, what it's like to work at X company. Because I think that that's the gap and the challenge that sits before us today is, you know, you don't have the luxury of understanding what does the feel of the culture, you know, sort of like look like. Um, and so it's really, really difficult, but I think it'll be, it'll be small incremental changes throughout. But I, I, I do think the interviewing experience is one of those that will be a key area that will shift dramatically, I think, over, you know, the near term. Awesome. Well, awesome uh, job. Yeah, have a good, have a good weekend. Uh, enjoy yeah, you too. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Same, same. Enjoy your long weekend. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Talent Bubble. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. If you want to help the show, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Thank you so much and be well.